We're going to continue this morning in our study through the book of Romans, Haigeret, Al-Haromim, and we're in chapter 13 today, which is an auspicious number for Jewish people. 13 is the year at which you are a bar mitzvah if you are a boy, although for a girl it is 12 if you are a bat mitzvah. Um, by the way, uh, I will, God willing, be going on Wednesday to Southern California with my wife, Debbie, and we will be taking part in the annual conference of the Union of Messianic Jewish Congregations. Um, we're very much looking forward to it. It's not the largest Messianic conference in North America every year, but it is the one that has the most to me, theological depth and, uh, and heritage in terms of the, the Messianic congregational movement and um, many people whom you might recognize, such as Stuart Dowerman and um, Jeffrey Feinberg, who's been involved in the creation of the Tree of Life Bible and others, are members of that congregation as well as the majority of Messianic congregations in Canada, if they are affiliated with someone, it is typically with the UMJC. So um, we're, we're looking forward to having a week but down there. And while we are gone, my sister, God willing, will arrive on Friday from Israel. And uh, although she will arrive very late on Friday and will not be at the Shabbat service on, uh, I guess it'll be the 16th, should be with us, please God, the following week. And I know my parents, especially my mother, are very much looking forward to seeing Rivka and Ayelet, her youngest daughter, with the other daughters to arrive later during the month, um, coming for a probably final uh, opportunity for all of them to be here in Canada together because now the girls are growing up, it'll be more and more like herding cats, and I think it'll be impossible to get them all here together again. But uh, that's a little bit of news, and so um, if you could pray for them on their travels, especially for my sister who lost her purse. It was stolen, apparently, uh, just either today or yesterday, and so uh, she's probably in a bit of a tizzy trying to figure that out. We're going to turn to Romans chapter 13, though, where Rav Shaul speaks to us and um, speaks to us really on, on, uh, on a topic that evolves or, or develops out of what he's been discussing throughout the book of Romans, the whole occasion for which he has written this book. Now, by the way, we should remember that on this Shabbat, it is the 3rd of Tammuz, and according to tradition, this is the day of the year when Joshua was leading the people of Israel in one of its battles to conquer the land of Israel, and victory was imminent, but darkness was about to fall. And on this day, Joshua called out to the Lord and asked for the sun to stop. And we've all wanted to jump off the world or have the world stop sometimes. Stop the world, I want to get off. But on that day, the sun stopped. 
which means that somehow the Lord stopped the world from turning. And on that day, great victory was given. And with the heavenly bodies acquiescing, um, God's will was performed through the leader Joshua, and Israel became uh, one step closer to possessing the land that God had promised to his people. It was a momentous day, and it also showed something quite remarkable, that God listened to Joshua. And so often in Scripture, we see people who are specifically leaders of the people of Israel. And God hears their prayers and hears their cry on a national level. As if those leaders have a special voice to God as the representatives of their people to be heard by God on behalf of their people. And so you see this with some of the prophets, such as Elijah. You see this with some of the kings, such as King David. The leaders of Israel have a special role, and they are to be heard. They are to be listened the Romans had another problem. And here is Rav Shaul, as we have said various times, writing to the Kehila in Rome. And he starts out at the beginning of the epistle to the Romans, talking about how as Jews and as Gentiles, they have both fallen short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. And they are in a difficult position in their life as a community because in 49 there was some kind of trouble on behalf of someone called Christus, whom we think is Christos, Messiah. Somehow there was a dispute and the Jews had been kicked out of Rome. And now they are back together just a few years later in the city of Rome but things aren't all harmonious among the believers of Rome. There are difficulties among them, and Rav Shaul has dealt with those difficulties, showing both of them how both of them need to rely on the grace of God and how together they need to recognize that God still has a plan for Israel. And that plan, he tells those who are not Jewish, is for their blessing too, for all the nations of the world to understand that God cares for them. When Israel is restored, all the nations will be blessed. And now that Rav Shaul has stepped beyond making his argument about Israel, he turns in chapter 12 to say, what is the result of this? And he begins to talk about how they might practically live together in harmony and peace. And we have really the first list of spiritual gifts in the Brit Chadashah, in Romans chapter 12. But he ends the chapter in Romans chapter 12 with something that actually leads into chapter 13. His thought is progressing. And in Romans chapter 12, he says, Repay no one evil for evil, in verse 17. Verse 18, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live in shalom with all people. 
in peace. Never take your own revenge, loved ones, but give room for God's wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So that is what leads us into chapter 13. And today as we read chapter 13, we need to remember something important. Those of you who have studied a little bit of Roman history or the history of the early believers in Messiah, know that there were some very notable emperors in Rome during the years of the early community of Messiah's followers. One of these was Nero, and everyone pretty much knows about Nero, who fiddled while Rome burned, who set um, a spectacle in Rome after the city burned where he hung Christians on crosses around the city, blaming them for its destruction, even though quite possibly he had a hand in its destruction himself. A terrible, evil, mad man. But he was just the successor to Claudius, who was mad, who was not much better. And so these early believers in the city of Rome within sometimes maybe earshot of the palaces in which the emperor and the senators would live. They understood power, and they understood how corrupt politicians can be. We think we have a problem now. People say politicians are all corrupt, and power corrupts absolutely. Um, they had a phenomenal problem in the city of Rome. And this was the situation that the believers lived in. It was this kind of uh, tyrannical power that had resulted in Jewish people being kicked out of the city of Rome, probably with for just a whiff of dissent, a little whiff of trouble. That's probably all it took for them. And now the church in Rome has been so discombobulated and has such a difficulty putting itself back together. And Rav Shaul, as he writes to these Messianic Jews and Gentiles, these followers of the Jewish Messiah, says to them, let every person submit himself to the governing authorities. Rav Shaul isn't saying this lightly. He understands who these governing authorities are. Claudius and Nero are far from exemplary leaders, far from the people that you would naturally want to honor and obey. And in fact, Rav Shaul has been very clear throughout his letter and elsewhere where he writes who the real kurios, who the real Lord is. And that real Lord is Yeshua HaMashiach. And just to say that Yeshua HaMashiach is Kurios was in that very fraught situation where these Roman empires, emperors were holding to their position by being ruthless in bloodshed, that they're, you know, making sure that there was absolutely no competitor to them. Calling Yeshua Adon, Lord, was Powerful. It was controversial. It was maybe a little bit 
difficult and dangerous. As people say in England, Rav Shaul was sticking his head above the parapet where an archer could theoretically aim his arrow. Rav Shaul understood who the real Lord is. And he said, let every person submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that are that exist are put in place by God. This is a scripture that we need to take to heart. There are believers in countries around the world where the kahila, where the community of Messiah is being persecuted today. In Pakistan, we were talking about this on the way to the kahila this morning. Believers are persecuted, if not at the state level, by apathy in the state that doesn't properly protect them from extremists. They go and kill believers in Messiah that burn their churches, that abduct their children. They are in a terrible way in Pakistan, in Iran. So many of the church leaders of Iran have been arrested and are unable to lead their congregations. Most of the Iranian church I read the other day, I'd have to verify it, but is, according to what I read, is a house church movement at this time because of persecution. We look at what's happening in North Korea where the possession of a Bible could mean that you go to a prison camp not just for months but for years and decades and possibly lose your life and not even make it to the prison camp where you would probably lose your life anyway. It's a terrible time for believers in Messiah around the world. And yet this is here in the scripture. There is no authority except from God, and those that exist are put in place by God. And when you look at that as a believer, you have to say that you believe in the sovereignty of God. I believe that whoever is in power, be it Premier Prime Minister Trudeau or Stephen Harper, whether it be Obama, Clinton, or Trump on the other side of the border, whoever it is, or in England they're going to have either Angela Leadsom or Theresa May, um, those people are put in power by God. And those people are to be listened to and respected and honored and obeyed. And this is the principle that Rav Shaul is, is bringing forth. In everything, we have to acknowledge that God is king. He is supreme. He is the one who is making history march forward. And he is the one who, through it all, is going to bring good out of it. And he is going to bring his kingdom onto this earth. It wasn't only Rav Shaul who said this very thing. If we look at Kepha or Peter in the book of 1 Peter um, chapter 2, we have Kepha saying the same thing. And Kepha is writing to the sojourners of the diaspora in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. In other words, to diaspora Jews. And as he writes to them, he's writing during a time when the Jewish people in Jerusalem 
which is a place where he is frequently and has lived many years himself. And around Israel are beginning to rise up in revolt against the Romans because the Romans are terrible rulers. They are infringing upon the God-given right of the people of Israel to worship God as they have been commanded to. And the people of Israel are upset and wanting to act against that. And in the midst of that context, Kepha writes in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 13, For the Lord's sake, submit yourselves to every human authority, whether to a king as supreme or to governors sent by him for the punishment of those who do evil and for the praise of those who do good. For this is God's will, that you silence the ignorance of foolish men by doing good. And we could wish that the people of Israel in 67, in 132, in those years when they rose up against the Romans in revolt, had listened to the wisdom of Rav Shaul, that they had listened to the wisdom of Kepha and had said, we will submit to these rulers. We will live according to God's law, and God's law says to obey those who are in authority over us. Instead, we suffered tremendously. Revolt doesn't usually end up in a better situation. And so we have confirmation, actually, in chapter 13, exactly who these people are that Rav Shaul is writing above, about. Because he says in verse 3, leaders cause no fear for good behavior, but for bad. Now, if you do not want to fear the authority, do what is good and you will get his approval. And so we have confirmation. Rav Shaul is talking about one person in particular, his approval. This is the emperor of Rome, for he is God's servant to you for your good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not carry the sword for no reason, for he is God's servant, an avenger who inflicts punishment on the evildoer. It's very hard for us because as human beings, we want to rise up against injustice, especially when injustice occurs against us because we we feel angry we know it's wrong we recognize evil but nevertheless god has appointed our rulers over us but rav shaul gives us some advice and this is where we turn from seeing the power of man the power that god has delegated to mankind to the power of submission Because there is actually power in that. God hasn't left us helpless at the hands of our rulers. God hasn't left us helpless as believers in the world. We are sheep amidst wolves, as Yeshua himself said. But that doesn't mean that we are going to be devoured. And so, starting in verse 5, we see the power of submission. Therefore, it is necessary to be in submission. This is Rav Shaul's strategy. How are you going to deal with this situation where leaders 
of your country are suppressing the truth, are doing those things that make it difficult for you to live as a believer. We live in a situation where, where um, marriage has been redefined. Whereas for all of history, marriage has been defined in light of God's command, the first command in Scripture, that you shall be fruitful and multiply, which implies, more than implies, a man and a woman. Now all of a sudden, we've redefined marriage. We're in a country where these things are happening. Rav Shaul says, therefore, and whenever you see therefore, as we always say, we have to see what it is there for. Therefore, it is necessary to be in submission, not only because of punishment, but also because of conscience. For this reason, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants, attending diligently to this very thing. Pay to everyone what is due them, tribute to whom tribute is due, Tax to whom tax is due, respect to whom respect is due, honor to whom honor is due. Rav Shaul says to be submissive, but Rav Shaul is very wise because he has already said in chapter 12 that rather than taking vengeance on others, Chapter 12 and verse 19. Do not take your own revenge, loved ones. Rather than take revenge, rather than seek to take our future in our own hands, as our own people did in 67 and 132, leading to the destruction of the temple in 70, the destruction of Jerusalem in 135. Just as um, those things happen. Do not take your revenge, but rather give room for God's wrath. And this is the beautiful message of Scripture. And it actually does resonate from Genesis right through to Revelation. It is God who you want to stand up for you. It is God's righteousness that you want to shine forth, not your own righteousness, and this can happen in our jobs, it can happen in our families, it can happen in our country. Rather, let God's glory be given to him. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. God, when he intervenes, he sets things straight. When humans intervene on their own behalf, you usually have chaos. We've seen this in the last five or ten years with the so-called Arab Spring. Libya today is a mess. Maybe horrific as it is. Maybe Gaddafi was put there by God. We look at what's happened in Iraq. We went in to try and sort it all out and take revenge. After all, Saddam Hussein had sought to... Um, assassinate George Bush's father, George Bush Sr. Iraq today, it's a mess, horrific murder of over 200 innocent people just a week ago in Baghdad. Um, we look at Syria, and you can go on. 
the countries where people have sought to set justice up on their own power. And it hasn't worked out. Because actually, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. We're not smart enough to know the big picture. We're not smart enough to be able to figure out what is right and what really needs to be done. We can all see the foolishness of that sniper in Dallas who shot and killed five policemen. Probably none of them racist. Um, People with families and loved ones who probably were all saddened by the events of the previous days where innocent black men were killed in, in the United States by police forces and who were there actually to protect the defend, the, those who were standing up for the Black Lives Matter movement. And someone went out to seek his own revenge. And God says, that is not my way. My way is submission. It is necessary to be in submission not only because of punishment, but also because of conscience. That person could not see that what he was doing was even more unjust than what had happened to those black victims of police violence in the U.S. It is something that he needed to know. Judgment is mine, says the Lord, because God sees the big picture. There's a principle called Kiddush Hashem. If we take vengeance into our own hands, if we take our future into our own hands and we try to um, deal with situations ourselves when clearly it is something that is beyond us, when we, if when we do that, we are taking away from God the right to step in when it is his time to make the situation right. In effect, we are actually taking away from God's glory because if we have acted prematurely, God has been preempted and God cannot act and God cannot step in and clearly be the one who has set the situation right. We want the glory to go to God. And this is why Rav She'ul says it's not only because of punishment, but also because of conscience. We want the right thing to happen. We want God's name to be glorified. When we pay our taxes, and sometimes we cringe when we do, when we um, respect those whom we have great disagreements with as our leaders, and when we give them honor, we are giving glory to God. And when God steps in, and when God's righteousness is revealed, and that may be after our lifetime, when the Lord returns, and when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Yeshua HaMashiach is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That might be after our lifetime. But that is when God is absolutely vindicated. It is the sanctification of God's name. It is setting God's name apart. It is when someone dies um, as a martyr. And, and so many stories have been told of those who love God and have given their lives for him. 
and have done so clearly holding on to his name. In Judaism, we call that Kiddush Hashem, the sanctification of the name of God. When the last words on a, on a person's lips are Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, even with my last breath, I give glory to God. That is giving, that, that is allowing God to get the glory, to get the honor to get the praise. Rav Shaul, of course, is speaking entirely in accord with Yeshua. If you look at Matthew chapter 22 and Mark chapter 12, we have Yeshua who is being presented with a dilemma, and the dilemma is, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And, and everyone knows you give money to Caesar, you are giving money to an unjust regime. You are giving money to the people who are oppressing us with that very money to pay the soldiers who are oppressing our own people. And Yeshua takes the coin and he says, whose name, whose face is on that coin? And we have those coins today. They've been dug up by archaeologists and they're relatively common. And it'll be Caesar's head. Render unto Caesar the things that are due to Caesar, the things that belong to Caesar. That is the message of Rav Shaul. Rav Shaul goes on even further, and this is where the picture gets better and better for us. Romans chapter 8, verses, or 13, verses 8 to 10. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the Torah. Right away, I think the first thing that might come to your mind is that famous story of the proselyte who wants to become a Jew. He wants to join Judaism. And he goes to Rabbi Shammai, one of the two great rabbis. And he says, I want to learn Torah while standing on one foot. I think you can actually see my one foot uh, through this platform. Uh, while standing on one foot, and I couldn't stay on one foot very long, I lost my balance. And Rabbi Shammai is incensed. He spent his whole life studying Torah and, and the oral traditions. He grabs a stick and he you know, beats the guy out of there. Um, the same guy goes to Rabbi Hillel and he says, teach me the Torah while I stand on one foot. And Rabbi Hillel says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. All the rest is commentary. And the person is amazed. He's learned what he needs to know while standing on one foot. And then he spends his next, the rest of his life studying to know more about the commentary of what God has given us to do. It's a simple principle. Anyone who loves another has fulfilled the Torah. We have our 613 commandments. We know um, what should be done, and there's an awful lot of commandments that should be obeyed in God's Torah. God tells us to do this and that. But ultimately, the one who loves another has fulfilled the Torah. Rav Shaul is continuing in, in the teaching of Yeshua. 
These are the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. Interestingly, Rav Shaul has reversed the order there. Because if you look at the Torah, it shall not murder, then you shall not commit adultery and so forth. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Rav Shaul knows they love God. That's the first five commandments. So that's not what he's addressing. He's addressing now the second tablet with the commandments that deal with loving one's neighbor. And he says all of these are summed up. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fullness of the Torah. It's a wonderful, freeing thing for us as believers. And Rav Shaul is going to get into this aspect of things a little bit more in chapter 14. And, and that'll be on July the 23rd, after um, my wife and I are back from California. Uh, we'll be doing, please God, Romans chapter 13. Love is the fullness of the Torah. It's a tremendously freeing thing because we are never going to be able to keep all the mitzvot of the Torah. Rav Shaul has been very clear on that. He's, he's shown us, he's shown the Jews, he's shown the Gentiles that we all break God's law in many ways. We know that this happens. And then... He tells us love is the fullness of the Torah and we understand there is, in a sense, almost a higher law because we're not going to be able to keep God's law entirely. Nevertheless, God has given us a guiding principle. And when we look at Yeshua and how Yeshua handled the Torah, as he talked to the Pharisees, as he talked to the crowds, he always pointed them to that guiding principle. He says to the Pharisees, or says to the crowd, you have, you, you have heard you shall not murder. I tell you, whoever says to his brother, you fool, is guilty of hellfire. He gets to the heart of the issue, and that is the heart. <laughs> it is really what is in here towards God. God is like a parent who understands the child's intent. We as parents seek to tell our children, you shall not do this, you shall not do that. We give them rules for their own benefit. But what we're really looking for is the intent in their heart. And that is what matters. And Rav Shaul looks at the Romans and these Roman believers in Messiah are are struggling in relationship, and they're struggling in their relationship to the pol political situation. And he says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is the power of love. So we've seen the power of man's authority or the power of political authority. We've seen the power of, of submission. And now we see the power of love. We are greatly empowered. God has not left us helpless. We cannot control the situations that we are in. We cannot control the world we're in. And when we do try to control it, we tend to upset the apple cart and 
cause more troubles. But we have a way whereby we are not helpless. It is love. And so we conclude with the last verses of Romans chapter 13. And we can be encouraged because Rav Shaul shows us the way to live an empowered life. Besides this, chapter 13, verse 11, you know the time that is already, it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first came to believe, when we first came to trust. That is exciting. He's encouraging them. You know we're in the middle of the night, but the dawn is about to come. You can just see that it's a little bit less dark than it was half an hour ago. It's, we're in the middle of the night, but the dawn is coming. Have hope. And rather than being embroiled, he says, in the deeds of the night, rather than being embroiled in the present situation, look forward because the dawn is coming. The dawn is coming inevitably and that day is coming for every one of us when someday, please God, we either meet our Savior in the air or we go to see him in the olam haba, as we say, being promoted to glory. We, we look at that day approaching and looking at that day approaching, Rav Shaul says, now be encouraged and live in an anticipation of that day. We are heralds of the dawn. We are like those roosters who crow at 3 or 4 a.m. And they make it difficult for you to sleep. <laughs> but uh, we're, we're, like, we're like the... The proof that the dawn is coming. The night is almost gone. The day is near. So let us put off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Of course, you could turn to Ephesians chapter 6, and there you would see how we are told to put on the armor of God. Let us walk properly as in the day not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and envy. He's looking and this is life in Rome. He knows what's going on there. Don't do that. Don't live that way. Instead, put on the Lord Messiah Yeshua and stop making provision for the flesh, for its cravings. Not talking about legitimate Cravings, but those that are illegitimate or over, over the top. We can put on Messiah Yeshua. And so we have a choice. Whose power do we want to be under? Do we want to be under the power of the political and, uh, and social authorities of our day? Or do we want to be under the power of God? Being under the power of God means putting on Messiah Yeshua. It means loving. It means being submissive to our rulers, to those in authority over us, and to God, so that God and God's righteousness can shine forth. Amen. Avinu Shavashamayim, we thank you for Yeshua HaMashiach.
who as he hung on the cross could have called legions of angels to his aid, but submitted to the power that was over him, the power of the land, submitted to injustice so that you might be glorified and so that great good might come. And Father, we pray that we might be like those who who put on Yeshua and like him are willing to suffer injustice for your glory, knowing that just as Messiah Yeshua was raised from the dead, we too shall be vindicated in the right time. We pray, Lord, that you might give us the patience and that you might give us the courage to live as Messiah Yeshua has called us to live. In Yeshua's own name we pray. Amen.